Hey, welcome. Glad to have you uh, in the house of God uh, with us uh, this morning. I, I know many of you have been watching the news this week, saw the governor's press conference. Autumn mandates are lifting March 21st, which means for us absolutely nothing would change. And so, uh, anyways. I wanted to put it uh, on your radar. I know many of you uh, already know, but tomorrow night is our uh, pursuit night. We do these on the first and third Monday uh, of every month. Uh, this is really our time for community groups. Uh, we do food, child care. We do it right here in the sanctuary. It's really an incredible time for people to come and connect and grow in relationship. And tomorrow, uh, tomorrow night, we're giving away for free our pursuit journals to our first 400 guests. And so just want to make sure that you're aware of that. And would love to see you uh, for that uh, event tomorrow. Now, of course, we've got uh, Seattle Revival Night coming up March uh, 6th. And God is really doing some incredible things in the region. And I just feel fortunate to really play a small part in it. And I want you to be involved as much as you would like to be. You know, we're running into capacity issues already uh, in Seattle. I think last month we had people lining up about 4 p.m. just to get into the building. And by the grace of God, it didn't collapse, but I can't make any promises for March 6th. And so I uh, would just love to have you, if you'd go ahead and keep that on your radar. God's doing some incredible things. Then a few weeks ago, we started here every Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. Pursuit Prayer. We got our staff, our teams, our volunteers all here at 6 a.m. Wednesday uh, for prayer. We provide free coffee. And so if you're in the area, you'd like to join us for that. We'd sure love to have you. And uh, we're just uh, really believing that this is a season of breakthrough and miracles, not just for the house of God, but for the people of God. And this morning, I'm going to share with you uh, out of the book of uh, 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel and in chapter 11, which tells us the story of maybe one of David's greatest mistakes. And one of the things I love about the Bible is it doesn't just include our highlights, it includes our lowlights. <laughs> and that's what makes the Bible so relatable. Outside of the fact that it's God-breathed, that it's given for our correction, our encouragement, our development, our admonishment, but that it includes the full scale, the full spectrum of people's lives. If you and I were to write our autobiographies today, we, we probably wouldn't include three or four or five chapters illustrating all of the ways in which we had failed. But God saw it fit to breathe on this word to help give us the full narrative of a person's life, to prove to us this point. God has factored in all of your stupidity, all of your mistakes, and still placed his calling and anointing on your life. And maybe that's part of the best news that the gospel represents, that in the fullness of time, God sent Jesus, one born under the law to redeem us from the law, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and in doing so has seated us in heavenly places for the purpose of conducting heavenly business. And I know for you and, and, and for me alike, there are a lot of things in our past that we've walked through that may induce feelings of shame or condemnation or disqualification. But the good news of the gospel is that grace and redemption still flows from Jesus for your life today. And I need you to know this morning, I need you to believe this morning, that when God places his calling and his anointing on your life, there is no devil in hell or circumstance of life that can take it from you. And so it's really good news. There has never been a gospel as good as the one that these pages record that you are everything Jesus says you are, that you are not simply the victim of culture's narrative. You're not walking around with a scarlet letter because of your past mistake. You are not the sum total of your failures. You are the sum total of Christ's victory. And that's what we challenge ourselves to believe 
this morning. In 2 Samuel 11, the Bible tells us the story of David and Bathsheba, but I think it starts off with some interesting things that I'd like to draw your attention to for but a moment this morning. In verse 1 of 2 Samuel 11, the Bible says this, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They, they destroyed the Ammonites. They besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. I want you to notice the language that's being used here in the spring. At the time when kings go off to war, King David stayed home. They went to war in the spring for some real practical reasons. Number one, it was warmer. Number two, the chariots could run on the ground without getting stuck in the mud. Number three, it was harvest season. So an invading army could live off the spoils of the land in the midst of their military campaign. Hear me, friends. Spring was the designated time of war for the nation of Israel. And everyone got the memo except David. There is a danger in not understanding the natural seasons of life. But there is an even greater danger in not understanding the spiritual season you are in and failing to engage with the fight that's in front of you. Jesus wept over Jerusalem because they didn't know what day it was. Jesus admonished his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane because they didn't know what hour it was. There is a day of visitation. There are seasons of encounter. There are divine windows of time by which the water is stirring. Listen, pursuit. We are not going to miss our moment. It's springtime in the spirit, and it's time to engage with everything that you've got. If I don't know my season, how can I be adequately prepared to engage with it? At least for me, I'm following the cloud, and I'm following the fire, and wherever it leads, I'm prepared to follow. Yeah, I didn't want to fight our state government to keep this church open, but it's springtime in the spirit, and I'm feeling feisty. I didn't want to take on the giant task of Seattle, but it's springtime in the spirit, and I'm feeling up to the fight. And in fact, I was created for this, and so were you. And people are falling asleep in churches all across this region because we haven't given them anything worth fighting for. And I'm telling you, friend, it's springtime in the Northwest, so let's get ready to fight. At the start of the pandemic, about 18 months ago now, the Lord began to, 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 to speak to me uh, real sovereignly in a series of dreams. And I imagine the Lord speaks to me in dreams because that's about the only time I shut up. And so he just, he's got a captive audience. And I have a lot of dreams. Most of them are not from God. Most of them are bad pizza, stress, anxiety from the day before. Your brain is just processing things. Not everything is prophetic. But you know how sometimes you just wake up startled from your sleep and you just know the Spirit of God is speaking to you? And I began to have these dreams by which the Spirit of God would speak to me and the picture that I would get in these dreams and, and in my heart was like an alarm clock was ringing in heaven. An alarm clock. And I'd wake up at all hours of the night, 3 a.m., 4 a.m., 5 a.m., and, and, and I would hear the Lord speak to me with this question, Russell, do you know what time it is? Do you know what time? time it is. 
In the Old Testament, the prophet spoke of a group of men called the sons of Issachar who were blessed by God because they knew the times and the seasons of their anointing. Friend, David's problems didn't start with him sleeping with Bathsheba. It started with him sleeping on his assignment. When you aren't active and doing what you was created to do, you get bored and start looking for outlets to entertain your flesh. Don't ask for an anointing that you ain't prepared to steward. God has made you a priest and a king, and now it's time to go to war. In fact, I get nervous when stuff is too quiet. If I'm not facing resistance somewhere, it's like, is the enemy even irritated that I'm alive? David didn't notice the season had changed. Do you? And some Christians live their whole life never facing the friction or resistance that comes with swimming upstream. But you weren't created to go with the flow. You were created to go against the flow. Because the message of Jesus is not subcultural, it's countercultural. Which means we're signing up to actively engage in the things that God has called us to. And what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3? For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, in fact, they are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Watch how later Paul communicates the value of staying on task to the church in Philippi. I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and, and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God, which is seated, rooted, founded in Christ Jesus. It's hard to keep your eyes on the assignment when you are so busy checking the review mirror of regrets. Friend, there is more in your future than there is in your past. And some of you this morning are drowning in a bathtub of criticism, not recognizing that you are swimming in an ocean of opportunity. Friend, failure is not a coffin. It's a trampoline into the next season of God's success for your life. Now one evening, David got up from his bed and he, he walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful and David sent someone to find out about her and the man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So let me stop there for a moment and correct some bad theology. It wasn't Bathsheba's fault for bathing, it was David's fault for looking. And by the way, Bathsheba was bathing on the roof because in that culture and in that time period, that's where people took baths. Now, I believe in modesty, but you could force every woman to dress in a burlap sack and be covered head to toe. And the problem of lust would still exist because it's first a heart issue before it's anything else. Now, watch what Jesus says. The law says, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you've looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you have already committed adultery. 
The law says do not murder, but, but I say to you, if you've got hate in your heart, you is guilty of murder. The ethic that Christ is communicating is that outward obedience to the law without a change in your heart doesn't produce the type of righteousness that he's looking for. And by the way, grace doesn't lower the bar, it raises it. And then it empowers you to live in righteousness, understanding that you are not the sum total of the failures of your past, but instead you walk with a new identity that's given to you from God alone. And when you have that type of confidence internally, it translates to change behavior externally. But if all we do is make whitewashed tombs filled with dead men's bones, then we're not actually of service to the kingdom of God, which is advancing all around us. See, religion says, get it all right on the outside. Pretend that everything's okay. Just smile when people ask you how things are going. Never be honest, never be transparent because you gotta hold it all together. But divine relationship with Christ says, be honest, transparent, broken, and contrite because the kingdom belongs to those types of folks. We've got the opportunity in this season not just to be honest about where we're at, but by His grace to enter into a lifestyle of transformation that changes us into His likeness and His image in both small ways and big ways, day in and day out. And why do we make it other people's job to manage the direction of our gaze? Jesus says if your eye causes you to sin, you gouge it out and throw it away. See, it's your responsibility. Temptation will always exist. It's my decision on what to do with that temptation that ultimately defines my life. And by the way, this is why Jesus is after your heart, not just your outward obedience. Because when he's got your heart, he can transform your mind. And when he's got your mind, he can transform your thoughts and your patterns, your behaviors and your dialogue and just about everything else. Getting it right on the outside does not take precedence over transformation on the inside. In fact, I'd rather have an honest Christian who doesn't yet have it all together on the outside than a dishonest religious person who smiles nice but is dead on the inside. Jesus prefers messy over fake any day of the week and so do I. See, here's the problem. When a person is reduced to an object whose only value is to fulfill your carnal desire, you have removed that individual's personhood and replaced it with idolatry. What direction are you looking? Where is your mind wandering? Who are you comparing your life to? Who are you comparing your family to, your job to, your finances to? Who are you comparing your friendships to? Who are you comparing your spouse to? The grass isn't greener on the other side, it's greener where you water it. The David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he, he slept with her and the, the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Watch. Friend, it might make you happy, but if it doesn't make you holy, it will only leave you broken. And David brought Bathsheba to bed, but in doing so, he brought judgment on his family and on his kingdom. Friend, I've got a question for you this morning. What are you bringing to bed? See, some of us rather live a life where all of the trauma, the abuse, the pain, the sin, the proclivities, 
of our past or current life stay hidden under the comforter of religious veneer. But when you come to Jesus, just about the first thing he does is he pulls back the cover on your life. And he finds that there's a lot of baggage from the past seasons. He finds that there's a lot of old attitudes and old mindsets and old behaviors and old patterns that only drag you down in your attempt to walk into that next season of life. And until we're willing to be honest about what's under the covers, God can't heal what we fake. And oftentimes we bring to bed expectations from the last place we've been, expectations from the last relationship we were in, expectations from the last church that we attended, expectations from the last season of life. And we're trying to fit all of this inside the context of our covenantal relationship with him. But friend, you don't come to Jesus on your terms, you come to Jesus on his. And he says, unless a man or a woman is willing to reject the world and with the cross before them follow him, they cannot be his disciple. It is not simply adding Jesus to the busyness of your already developed life. It is cleaning the slate, wiping out the handwriting of requirements that has been against you and enthroning Jesus as the primary principality and power in your heart. I can't add Jesus to the already complicated and convoluted worldview that I bring along with me. Christ has purchased me with a price. No, my life is not my own. And now he has replaced all of the baggage that I've brought to him. Pretty soon there isn't any room left for covenant because it's so filled with compromise. And then you begin to recognize that your baggage, in fact, affects other people. And then you begin to recognize that I'm not in control of these habits. These habits are in control of me. And then pretty soon you realize, unless I get freedom, I'm going to end up hurting myself and hurting others. Friend, in the same way that acts of obedience have generational blessing, I believe acts of disobedience can cause generational damage. Let me prove it to you. Two chapters later, David's son Amnon rapes his half-sister. David's other son Absalom despises David for not punishing his brother, so he murders him and then leads a rebellion against David. Friend, there's a blessing in your life that comes from obedience, but we live in a culture that wants all of the blessings without any of the submission. I think sometimes maybe in our charismatic community, we make too much of what I would call generational curses. We turn people into private investigators to try to find some sort of sin seven generations back that might be impacting them today in a way to project our dysfunction on a past person. Can I tell you the only generational curses that have power in your life are the ones that you believe? But I do believe in the same way that obedience creates a wave that impacts the next generation, disobedience creates a wave that can also impact the next generation. As we start a new relationship with Christ Jesus, what we are doing is we are severing the ties with every principality and power that has had a claim of darkness against our life. And in doing so, we are dying to the old man and we are being resurrected new in Christ Jesus. That's the power of a person fully surrendered to Christ. 
Sometimes I hear people in our world today criticize the purity culture in the church as opposed to what? Hookup culture, divorce culture, adultery culture, abuse culture. Here's what we need, kingdom culture. Honoring God first culture, staying faithful culture, healthy relationship culture. Here's the good news. Even if your past is filled with mistakes, trauma, sin, and shame, friend, it's never too late to have a fresh start. The Bible continues in verse 14. It says, in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and he sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah in the front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so that he be struck down and die. And when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. And after the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house and she became his wife and born him a son. But the thing David had done, watch, displeased the Lord. Paul says this in Galatians. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. They're self-evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, origins, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Can I just challenge you, friend? Don't have a PhD in other people's sins and a GED in your own. We gotta resist the temptation to be mad at people who sin differently than us. But I want you to notice the language that Paul is using here because it's specific. He says, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. There is a difference between what you struggle with and what you celebrate. If you're struggling today, friend, keep on struggling. Keep on fighting. Keep on walking. Keep on repenting. Keep in community. Keep in counseling. If you made a mistake yesterday, his mercy and his grace is new every morning, and you can receive more than enough to fight that battle again today. It seems like we're given to ideological extremes in the church today. On one side of things, we just got people who say, fake it until you make it. But the problem is you never make it. You just live your life trying to fool everybody around you, but you can't fool God. And so we have people who say, hey, just fake it, just pretend, just smile, never plug in, never have community, never be transformed. Just look good on the outside. And then we got some folks on the other side who are so afraid to talk about anything that might offend a person, they actually encourage people to continue in sin and degradation. And maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle. I am not the product of what I've done, but what Christ has done on my behalf. And a righteous person, they fall seven times, but they get back up. And his grace doesn't excuse my sin, but it empowers my righteousness to overcome sin. And I'm gonna daily be transformed into his image and into his likeness. I'm not faking it. I'm not excusing it. I'm being transformed through it. And I'd love God to deliver me out of every chronically bad or toxic situation I'm in. But the more that I follow him, the more I recognize so often he doesn't develop me out of, he develops me through. You might be here today and say, Pastor, I'm two days sober and 
I don't know how I'm gonna get 20 years sober. Let me tell you, it's one day at a time. You might be here today and say, man, I just feel so ashamed. I've fallen down so many times. Friend, there's enough grace in this house for you to get back up and try, try again. If you're struggling, stay in church. If you're in sin, stay in church. If you're fighting with your wife, stay in church. If you're struggling with porn, stay in church. If you struggle with addiction, stay in church because it's only the house of God that empowers the people of God with the spirit of God to do the mission and the work of God. Unaddressed sin doesn't get better by itself. It continually requires more compromise until one day you're in over your head. It was the cover-up that brought David the most harm. Brad, here's some pastoral advice for you this morning. Keep short accounts with the people who do you wrong. Be quick to own up when you got it wrong. Live a life that pleases the Lord. It's one of the things that God has blessed me with. Short-term memory loss for people who do me wrong. Sometimes people carry around a scroll of all the times that people have done them wrong. Sometimes they come up for prayer at the altar, but before I can ever pray for them, they got to read me their rights. They got to read me the narrative. They got to read me the account. And you always have your story. You'll always have the things that you've walked through and, 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 and the things that have been done to you and the things that you've done to others. That, that'll always be part of your narrative. But when you come to Christ, he writes a new chapter in your story. And maybe today could be the first day that we stop talking about what people have done to us and start talking about what God has done for us. And if we change the narrative and the language of our life, pretty soon our emotions and our mindset and our thought patterns follow. I'm so struck by what David later says in the book of Psalms. He asks a rhetorical question and then he answers it himself. He asks it this way, how can a young man keep his way pure? I imagine he's writing about himself. He says this, by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. David is identifying five ways to keep your way pure. He says, I've guarded my life with your word. I've stored in my heart your word. I have declared your word. I have delighted in your word. And I have meditated on your word. I've noticed a pattern. When people deny the authority or inerrancy of scripture, their very next step is to reject the sexual ethic of scripture. Because when God's word loses the power to course correct your life, it is quickly replaced by the doctrine of culture, the theology of secularism, and the authority of individualism. But this isn't just a book about God. It's a book from God, inspired by the Spirit of God. And it is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, that the person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Our culture has never met a perversion it isn't willing to celebrate. 
We are no different today than the pagan cultures of the first century to whom these scriptures were originally authored. You can either build your life, your marriage, your family, your future on God's unchanging word or culture's ever-changing word. The choice is yours. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. <laughs> Friend, let me end with this thought this morning. I believe that God is not just shifting this house, but he's shifting this people into a new season. A new season of exciting adventures, taking land, kingdom advancing, miracle signs, wonders, increase abundance, but it does not come without backlash from the enemy. And I would implore you today, clothe yourself with the armor of God. I would implore you today, get rooted and connected in Christian community. I would implore you today, be aware of the seasons of your life because God speaks to those who have ears to hear and eyes to see. Can't you feel it in the Northwest? Something has shifted. Can't you feel it over the last 18 months? Something has changed for the house of God and for the people of God. Man, I've never been more excited to be a part of what God is doing in the earth, but I know it will come with unprecedented change challenges and opportunities but here's the good news greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world it's springtime so let's get ready to fight let's get ready to fight let's get ready to stand and after we've done everything to stand, let's continue to stand. Let, let, let's get ready for unity. Let's stand for unity. And after we've done everything, let's continue to stand for unity. Let's get each other's back. Let's not give in to the world's friendly fire and kill our own. Let's be the type of bride that Christ gave his life for. And in doing so, may his wisdom and strategy be on our life so we can sense and know the timing of God. This is our moment this is our hour friend it's springtime in the spirit get ready the seasons have shifted come on would you stand as we close i want to pray for you and encourage you in the lord this morning i believe god by his spirit is putting the spirit of wisdom and revelation on men and women all across the sanctuary folks who are tuning in online and watching God is preparing his bride for the days that are ahead. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray that you would steady us, that you would give us courage, that you would break off the spirit of fear and instead give us power, love, and a sound mind, that you would cause us to hang together and stick together, that you would cause us to have clarity of focus and unity of mission in this moment. God, I know things have shifted. I know the seasons have changed. God, would we not miss the day of our visitation? Would we not miss the hour of our outpouring? God, I pray that we would not be spiritually asleep when it's actually time to fight. God, may we not miss what you are saying and sensing, the way that you are leading and directing in this hour. God, by your spirit, I pray that you would break off old attachments, things that we've brought to bed that 
that don't belong in covenant, things that have tried to attach themselves to our identities that are no longer valid because of the precious blood of Jesus. We say today, by your spirit, you break every yoke of bondage that's had a claim against our life, our family, and our future. And today, we come out of that old season, we step through that new door into that new season because you, in fact, are making a way where there seems to be no way. I declare over you courage. I say over you today, you will not give up. I say over you today, you will not shrink back. I say over you today, you will fulfill every God-given mandate he has placed on your life and no demon in hell can stop it. And so God today, give us courage to be everything that you know we are. And may our lives glorify you in every possible way. May we live a life, watch, that pleases the Lord. Father, we love you, God. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.